Welcome to Beyond Leadership, at the intersection of leadership and everything else. In this Cleveland Clinic podcast, we will co-mingle with extraordinary thinkers and explore the impact of their ideas and experiences on leadership and management. And I am Brian Bolwell, your host. Uh, today, we're joined by uh, a very special guest, uh, Vugar Zainaloff, who's the Cleveland Clinic's Chief Information Security Officer, to talk about cybersecurity. Vugar is an accomplished IT executive with over two decades of leadership experience delivering business-focused security services and cultivation of world-class security talent. His approach to cyber risk helps businesses in heavily regulated global markets through high-stakes acquisitions, business expansion, and the adoption of emerging technologies. Welcome, Vugar. Hello, Dr. Bowell. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So can we start by uh, by having you give us a definition of what cybersecurity is? I think people probably have different views about what it actually means. Cybersecurity is a newly emerging discipline to protect our most valuable digital assets uh, from cyber criminals. And we're in healthcare. Uh, why is healthcare such a big target? A few years ago, cyber criminals figured out how to monetize a healthcare record. And right now, it's the most expensive record on the black market. It's about 50 times more expensive than a credit card. And the reason for that is because that record is permanently attached to a patient, unlike credit card that you can easily change. And it's very rich. It can be used for identity theft, uh, prescription drug and Medicare fraud, um, and many, many, many other uh, ways of criminalizing. Plus, the criminal business model is evolving. Now, instead of stealing from hospitals and selling that data to someone else, they're also deploying ransomware and extorting victims for money to get their data and systems back online because they know that care delivery is utmost importance for us. So what type of attacks concern you the most? Well, um, just like uh, with treating disease, we don't focus in only one aspect. So mature security, uh, like healthcare, is about holistic approach. The front landscape is changing constantly. So right now we're trending in phishing and ransomware attacks because they're simple and, be, and can be very, very effective. So can you define um, those for us, Vuger? What, is, what, what does that mean? What is phishing and what is ransomware attacks? Phishing is a way of luring uh, individuals to uh, click or do something that the criminals want them to do. Uh, typically, they send them an email with a sense of urgency and uh, using different techniques, have them to click on, on a link that leads them to a malicious software. A ransomware is an attack where the criminals encrypt your most valuable data and then extort money in exchange for either not releasing that data or conversely giving you a key so you can unencrypt it. So this happens a lot with our phones too, right? I mean, I think all of us are receiving spam telephone calls and spam messages. And is that all part of the same bucket? Continuously. As we evolve our defenses against email phishing attacks, they move, they evolve, they change, they adapt. These cyber criminals, well, unlike nation states like China and Russia, they don't have better tools and techniques that we do. But what's, what's interesting about them is that they, like insurgents, they constantly adapt their techniques and, and, and tactics. Um, so they've seen that our email protections improve. Now they're focusing on mobile. So how do we combat this stuff? Good business decisions. We prevent everything that's reasonably preventable. 
And whatever we can't prevent, we hope to detect them early, respond swiftly, and recover with a minimum impact to our business. So you started here, what, about three and a half years ago? Yeah. Uh, what was the first thing you did? Well, um, before coming, I put together my 100-day plan. Everything was uh, structured. But when I first came in, we had a series of unfortunate events that uh, led me to, in one hand, uh, to quickly um, ramp up our defenses. On the other, interestingly enough, it allowed me to meet a lot of uh, wonderful people across, across the enterprise. And it became apparent why the Cleveland Clinic is number two hospital in the nation is because of that culture of excellence we had. So the first thing I did after we kind of survived these um, unfortunate events, I went on the listening tour. I met with every leader we have. And in the most humble way, I try to understand what's important to them. Because if I understand this was a new program, we could have focused on the areas that matter. Also, if, if I understand, then God forbid if something happens, we can make good decisions. The same way if you know your patient, you can rush them to the operating room. And the final thing I told them, if there is one thing I can guarantee is that we're going to make mistakes. And when we do, I want to have that relationship in place so we can pick up the phone, course correct, and move forward. And it was one of the most wonderful experiences for me that listening tour and, 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 and visiting our, our medical facilities because A, I learned how to speak to clinicians. And these are the people who have lives of people on, on their hands. Um, I was coming here, I was thinking, how am I going to talk bits and bytes to the people who have lives of people on their hands? And they, they helped me to frame the messages in a way that it made sense to clinicians. And also I learned that doing anything with the clinician versus to the clinicians is going to have far better impact and effect. And the third thing I learned is that we're dealing with very, very busy professionals. And any minute I take away from the clinician's way to connect with the patient, that's, that's one less minute they can, they can spend, spend with our patients. So we try to instill that culture of frictionless. Whatever we do, build it in a way that as frictionless as possible for our clinical workforce. So what did they tell you? The clinicians? Yeah. So you interviewed all these folks, including me. I remember our meeting very well. What, what did you hear? What did they tell you? So first, I, I learned about your business and how important this to, for, to the clinic from getting your perspective. Second, I learned about all the pain points that you had with the technology. I learned how important it is to technology for delivering high quality care. At the same time, I learned that any friction, any uh, service interruption, any cyber event, that all impacts our care delivery and impacts in a profound way. Uh, prior to coming to the clinic, I worked for the government, financial institutions, payers, and these are all wonderful institutions and they have all the important things in the world like, like financials, brand reputation, we have all that too. But on top of that, we have live patients connected to 150,000 medical devices. And all of them are tiny computers and a beautiful package. Also, a identity theft, for example, losing somebody's data, it's very hard to go back to a cancer patient or family or deceased and tell them on top of everything else, we, we also lost their data. It's, it's, it's not a conversation that, that anybody wants to have. And something like a like computer virus that can make our systems unusable for financial institutions can mean that they can't process transactions, they can't process claims. 
For us, it means babies in NICUs, people in coma, and loved ones storming the hospitals trying to find out what's going on because the phone system is down. It was an incredible learning for me because this industry is as close to the people that you're protecting any other industry I've been to. Did you hear about things beyond the electronic medical record? And if so, what were they? Oh, certainly. So we talked a lot about medical devices and security of medical devices because they directly impact patient safety. We talked about ability to communicate because this is also a research facility. A lot of our clinicians, they are renowned, world-renowned researchers and world-renowned scientists. So on one end, we need to protect the data. On the other, we should allow our researchers and scientists to be able to deliver their care and research. So it's an interesting dilemma between protection and enablement. So one of the things about research, of course, is the importance of big data, of handling huge amounts of data for for people like me in, in the cancer center, you know, the human genome has billions and billions of bits of data. So does that pose any special challenges? Oh, certainly. The larger the data sets are, the more lucrative they become. It's a one-place accumulation of massive amount of data. If, if the criminals find a way to get there, then um, it's like a heyday for them. Protecting big data is, presents a special challenge. It also presents an opportunity because uh, the big data capabilities are relatively new, and a lot of them have been built with security in mind. It's just uh, getting engaged at an appropriate time and building the appropriate uh, controls up front and educating our caregiver can make all the difference in the world. So with big data, a lot of times it's stored in the cloud. How do we interface with the cloud? Well, cloud is not a new technology. It's just a different way of delivering computational resources. So the risks that we have here internally, they're the same risks in the cloud. They're just amplified by the fact that you lose physical control of, of an asset. So in the type of the cloud that you're dealing with, the most important thing is building trust and trusting the party you're dealing with. Any relationship, right, personal or, or a business is about trust. And trust is established through a series of assurances. So if we get engaged early, we can make sure that the cloud service provider has the appropriate protections in place, just like the legal side or, or any other, to protect, uh, not only protect it upfront, but also maintain that trust through the life of the relationship and have the appropriate provisionings for you to get your data back if that relationship saturates. So building all these protections in place on your behalf is recipe for success in dealing with cloud. Tell me about your team and, uh, and how you approach your team and coming up with functional teams and what you as the leader do to enhance uh, your team's ability to execute. Well, I try to instill that culture of excellence that we have on the clinical side, which makes the Cleveland Clinic number two hospital in the nation, instill it into into the way we de design and develop our team. And it starts with attracting strong talent. Yes. My philosophy for leadership is uh, attracting people that are smarter than me, giving them what they need, and getting out of their way. The second component of this is a culture of compassion and caring. We're in healthcare. We need to instill that culture because they, as I was saying, this is the closest to the people you're protecting. They need to feel the same pain as a patient would or a clinician would if something is not done right. And the third is creating a 
culture of innovation and where the people feel comfortable speaking up their voices. It starts with, again, just like we talked about with the vendors, it starts with trust. Trust is a foundation of everything. So having that personal touch and personal connection allows people to feel comfortable and that comfort enables people to speak up and sometimes disagree respectfully. In that disagreement, the best ideas are formed. Yes. And ability to share voices. But then once we come up with the ideas, we should be able to commit and don't look back. And that commitment leads to accountability and results. And finally, what we're learning from the clinical side is building that culture of continuous improvement and, and, and building instilling quality into what we do continuously. Whatever we put forward, we want to make sure, I use the word frictionless, but quality is another component of frictionless. Whatever we deliver to you, because it becomes part of your workflow from that point onward, has to be highest quality because fundamentally it may impact care delivery. So that was great. You said a lot of stuff that we can touch on, but a couple of things that I'd like to, to touch on is you mentioned the importance of attracting great talent. How do you recruit? How do you recruit uh, in general? You know, in medicine, one of our challenges, I think, is sometimes we recruit a little too much for academic pedigree uh, and not enough for some other attributes that may be important. How do you recruit? Well, attracting cybersecurity talent is really hard nowadays. It's a negative unemployment market. Right now, there are 400,000 open jobs wow. on the market. And although COVID impacted many other professions, because of the telemedicine, because of the remote workforce impact, cyber is actually, the cyber talent is in a, even in a higher demand. So realizing that attracting a top talent is going to be a challenge for us, we took a little bit different approach. All my teams transformed into what we call teams of teams, an agile uh, models where individuals don't have very specified roles and responsibilities. It's, instead, it's a team where the senior members of the team can distill and educate uh, new talent that we bring in on to, uh, uh, to bear. So because we don't have that very, very specific, specialized way of doing things, we can inject new talent, quickly train, and we, in, the, in the collaboration with the senior members of the team, raise the overall quality of the, of, the, of the team in a much faster pace. So it sounds like you're attracting some relatively younger talent and then educating them about different opportunities and different ways to execute. Correct. That's been our, our, our main. And I have to say, in a very short period of time now, the challenge is they quickly ramp up and now the, uh, they, their marketability increases. Now retaining them becomes a challenge as well. Yes. After we made that investment into them. Yes. Um, and hopefully our culture is a way to retain people. You know, this is, one of my favorite quotes is that great teams are a magnet for great talent. And hopefully if you've got great teams, it's a little harder for them to go. You know, someone told me in my listening tours that people come here for the brand, but stay for the people. I, I think have that's to a say great quote. It is. It is a great quote. It's a, it's a humbling experience. You get to work with the best of the best in the world. So another thing you touched on um, was the importance of trust, which I think all of us would agree is fundamental to, to any leadership and really any relationship. But then you talked about the importance of, of healthy dialogue and respectful conflict. And the second most important attribute in a high functioning team is to have respectful conflict and open dialogue. How do you generate that? 
So by giving everyone a voice, it starts with everyone gets a one minute just to share what's, what's relevant and important to others. And then on the intersection of that, we don't come up with a predefined agenda. On the intersection of that, we decide as a team what we want to talk about. But I, I want to make sure that everyone continuously gets a voice. I really like that one minute idea. So uh, thank you for that. You also mentioned uh, very briefly, which I'd like to expand on, are the challenges of the COVID pandemic and the increased use of telehealth and telemedicine. What are the increased risks from a cybersecurity perspective? Well, unsurprisingly, cyber criminals, both foreign and domestic, are trying to take advantage of the global pandemic situation, as they never let any crisis go to waste. And then also nation states, such as China and Russia, have stepped up their espionage efforts aimed at coronavirus vaccine research. So you see a proliferation of fake COVID-19 themed phishing emails, phone and text messages you mentioned, and they're being all used to lure victims to visit the websites uh, with payment scams or malicious software, exploiting the human traits like concern and curiosity. Every industry almost have been impacted, but healthcare is a primary target. As nefarious actors see healthcare professionals who are exhausted physically and emotionally, and entire health IT systems that are changing overnight to accommodate these new working styles. Uh, also, people are continuously searching for the latest information. Uh, so any threat mas masquerading as a trusted COVID-19 news has a huge pool to fish in. And to that end, I want to say that Cleveland Clinic's communication team has done an excellent job curating these news and information. And I, I, I encourage everyone to check out Cleveland Clinic's newsroom and, and Twitter feeds as a reliable source of information. So how do we combat these threats? Another threat that I can think of off the top of my head, Vulgar, is what we call MyChart, and that patients can have direct access to their medical record, which, you know, five years ago really didn't happen very often. How can we manage this stuff? One, you, you asked me in the beginning of our conversation about learning from our clinicians. What I learned is that there's a lot of similarities between uh, the world of medicine and the world of cyber. We even use the same terminology, viruses. Um, if we see a vulnerability of some sort or a weakness of some sort, we start with the stop the bleeding, tactically addressing some of the challenges we have. And then we do a diagnosis to understand what our gaps and weaknesses are. And then finally, we build a treatment plan to define our path to the future. So on the caregiver side, this changing working style, such as work from home and telephone ex uh, expansion, obviously adding new ways. And this is not new technologies. They existed for a while. But then we're living through one of the greatest experiments in remote work and virtual health. As you may know, as you know, the clinic has, is now doing 26 times the number of virtual visits that we did just a few months ago. So what did you find when you first came here? And how did you prioritize the challenges that you found? Most of the people want to do the right thing. If they have the appropriate tools and those tools are easy to use. My number one priority right from the beginning is was giving our clinicians that trusted and resilient digital platform so they can continue doing education and research. Ultimately, if I can build security, absolutely frictionless for you. And we have, we have built a lot of capabilities that were with a minimum friction or like invisible almost to our clinicians. 
or if I give our clinicians a platform that's easy to use, this is approved, structured, secure platform that's easy to use. Most of the people want to do the right thing. And most of the people will. And then we also build some capabilities to detect any violations and react to them. Most of that reaction is going to be education, but in some cases we have to take more, more stringent measures. One of the stories that you shared with me was during your listening tour, uh, you went to an inpatient nursing floor and you found that there was a whiteboard with all the different passwords that the nurses needed to use for different, different programs, different, just different stuff. And how did you react to that? My team and I would visit every facility we have. And we went through what we call a journey of the patient from admission to discharge. And you're right, it was a very painful sight to see how clinicians and nurses specifically were combating some of the inefficiencies of our, te of our technology platforms. There were dozens of passwords, uh, which are hard to remember, and they're continuously changing. So I saw nurses carrying sheets of passwords on their badges, and then they were writing them down on the whiteboard and, because the next shift is coming. So one of our priorities was eliminating those passwords. And so far, we eliminated close to 70 plus passwords, and we continue on that journey. Our vision is get to one password, but ultimately, no password at all. If we can get to that, if we can get to the setting where systems recognize you based on multiple factors, you come in and it knows who you are and gives you what you need to be effective, that would be, uh, that would be quite a day for us. So how far away is that, Vuger, whether it's facial recognition or voice recognition or, or other, other tools or techniques? It's interesting. They're not that far away. The problem is in a clinical setting, clinical settings present unique challenges. For example, fingerprint, in, in any other industry, we could have found a solution. Uh, fingerprinting is not possible because our clinicians wear gloves. And facial recognition won't work because our clinicians wear masks. Proximity sensors don't work either because a lot of clinicians work as teams. So whoever has the strongest uh, proximity sensor is going to register. So in a clinical setting, all these technologies that work very well in other industries, unfortunately, they don't work as much. I mean, certainly one of the challenges of the COVID pandemic is, is the gear that we have to wear. And so, yeah, facial recognition is out the window. I mean... <laughs> You know, not only do we have to wear masks, we have to wear face shields or goggles, or, or it's, it's certainly a challenge. I had a conversation a few days ago with, with a leader of another industry, and, and we talked about some of the challenges of leadership, and, and he mentioned giving feedback and giving honest feedback. You know, so managing your team from, from that perspective, from, from evaluating their performance and, um, and accountability, how, how do you approach that? I believe in continuous feedback, continuous feedback. And it starts, again, we, we explore this concept of trust. It starts with personal trust. I believe in building connection, personal connection with my leaders at every level, even with families. Because if you have a personal trust between the people, at the very least, you're gonna, uh, you, would, you would expect benefit of the doubt, if you will. And when you're having a discussion, when you're having a conversation, when you're having that crucial conversation and delivering very honest and open feedback, hopefully a caregiver will also see that it's being done in the best interest of the organization and in the best interest of, the, of that individual. So I think trust is foundation. 
and then continuous feedback is foundation for successful for successfully developing people. So thematic in your approach is the importance of leadership. How do you how do you maintain those those relationships with clinical leadership in a healthcare setting? Those first interactions we had were crucial and having that humble and open approach and desire to listen and understand and be there and most importantly be responsive understanding that the clinical setting it's the where it's seconds matter i think that builds that credibility and trust the second component of it is every time we do something we build what we call clinical impact team with the prominent clinicians and constantly, every communication we make, I uh, run it with, through our clinical impact team to view it through the eyes of the clinician, to see how it will be received and to see if we're missing anything. And then designing everything, designing everything upfront with the clinicians at the table. I think that also improved the credibility. And then delivering, delivering on the promises made, clearly articulating this is our plan, this is our milestones. This is what we're going, and then showing that we're delivering it, and we're delivering it in a way that it's not impacting adversely impacting clinical care. And if it does, we are there. We're listening. We're very, very responsive to adjust and, and address them as quickly as possible. I think have been great for building that relationship. Well, I can tell you that the Cleveland Clinic is very fortunate to have you as our leader for cybersecurity, and I can also personally attest to the importance of relationships, and, and Vuger has done exactly what he's talked about with the clinical leadership, and it's been a lot of fun for me to learn from, uh, from everything he's done. Uh, Vuger, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it. There'll be more coming, so uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond Leadership. We welcome any topic ideas, comments, or questions about this or any past episodes. Email us at executiveeducation at ccf.org or by clicking on the link in the show notes.